Welcome to the Inclusive Education Project. I'm Vicki Brett. I'm Amanda Salohi. We're two civil rights lawyers on a mission to change the conversation about education, civil rights, and modern activism. Each week, we're going to explore new topics which are going to educate and empower others and give them a platform to enact change in education and level the playing field. Welcome back. Hope you guys Hi, everyone. have been getting through what needs to get through. I don't even know. I'm, I haven't even had my caffeine this morning, so this will be fun. <laughs> How are you doing, Amanda? I just had mine, but we're going through a, I don't even know what to call it. Baby's been sleeping pretty good up until last night, so of course, you know, oh, we'll yes. see how that goes. It's always <laughs> fun. You figure them out and then they change in two seconds, so <laughs> hang yep. in there. Yep. <laughs> well, we're just going to get right into it because we're thrilled to have our next guest on, Fiona McEntee yes. from the yeah. McEntee Law Group. Thank you so much for joining us. We're really excited to have you on. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited. I'm <laughs> solidarity as a mom of two kids. Uh, <laughs> how old are your kids? Oh, so Rose, my daughter, she just turned seven. Uh, and then oh, my wow. son, Perry, is going to be five in January. Rose oh and Perry, I love those names. Yeah, yeah Rose and Perry. <laughs> so, Fiona, obviously we got connected because of the children's book that you wrote, but why don't you give our listeners a little bit of background about yourself? Sure, thank you. So, I am an immigrant, which you can probably tell by my accent. What? I didn't grow up in America. <laughs> um, so, I'm from Dublin, Ireland. I've been in the US for, for about like 15, 16 years. Um, wow. And I'm a naturalized US citizen now. Um, and I am a mom of two kids and I am a wife, but I am also an immigration lawyer. And mm-hmm. so, I've been practicing as an immigration attorney for 13 years and I run my own practice here in Chicago with clients all over and I take immigration advocacy pretty seriously and so I like to think that I kind of bring creative thought to just the kind of discussions around immigration so in different ways. Yeah I can only imagine the absolute just chaos the last four years have been <laughs> and yeah, you know and you immigration work the last- yeah and immigration I mean I'm not trying to say that it's been perfect prior to President 45. However, these last four years have just been so chaotic, so traumatizing for so many individuals, obviously for the children, children. yeah, for the children that have been separated and families and just with each, you know, news that's breaking about this, it's, I can only imagine just hearing how passionate you are about it, how just like down and out (laughs) you must be. Obviously you're fighting and so then that gives you hope. Yeah. But has that really kind of impacted the types of clients that you're servicing? Or you said everybody's from all around, right? Yeah, I mean, I think the past four years have been really tough for not just for us you know, immigration lawyers, but for our clients, obviously, as well. You know, the cruelty of this administration really yeah. knows no end, to be right. honest. And that's not being, you know, I'm not trying to exaggerate here. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that we see some of the stuff, the obviously horrendous family separation policy and just the absolute failure to take any responsibility for what happened to those poor children that will be now traumatized throughout Absolutely. their life. That's assuming they can right. even find their parents right. again. And that's 
you know, one part that we've heard about, but there's also like, it's honestly not an exaggeration to say that every single day or week almost, there's like a new policy, there's a new memo, there are new proposed regulations um, that are impacting our clients. And it's all types of clients. I mean, it's business clients. Mm-hmm. So it's um, mm-hmm. it's foreign students. Yep. I mean, they've there's been threats to deport them. There's, Absolutely. I mean, it is families. It is um, the humanitarian type immigration that we see at the Southern right. border. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, there's one thing they don't discriminate and it's their hatred for immigrants because mm-hmm. it really is spanning across all different types of categories. It's not the category of people that the president likes to tweet about that it's only bad people trying to come over across our border, right? It's everyone. Yeah. And I mean, I think, you know, we have an obligation to resist that false narrative. You know, we have to try to speak out and to share, you know, some of the stories that we know to be true of immigrants. And I'm just fed up of hearing immigrants being attacked in in by this hateful rhetoric that's accompanied by devastating policies um we've just had enough and i am hopeful though um hopefully that we have a new administration and i'm hopeful that with that new administration will come this hope and will come change and um vice president biden has promised to put immigration on the forefront of the agenda of the administration and i sincerely hope that under biden harris administration that we are having different conversations um surrounding this like really critical issue i hope so too i mean it drives me crazy to hear the concept that's being thrown out there about immigrants when our country was founded by immigrants and built by immigrants and the ideals of you know and to bring in your book the american dream i mean to say that an american you know looks a certain way is just preposterous it goes against the very you know ideas behind the flag that certain people in this country love to put on a pedestal and it's crazy that not enough people are talking about just i think the cruelty like you said the perfect word to use that what's happening yeah and look as an irish immigrant with that comes a huge amount of privilege and i a white privilege but also right. this irish immigrant privilege and i actually have a we've just started a podcast ourselves called immigration revelation but earlier on this morning i was talking to um a guest Maeve higgins who's going to be on our show um she's a comedian she's a writer she writes for the new york times she has written a book she has her own podcast but she talks a lot as well about this irish immigrant privilege Privilege and kind of the the whole sense of there are certain people who um you know let's say Mike Pence Paul Ryan you know mm-hmm. we can name Kellyanne Conway mm-hmm. like a lot of people mm-hmm. surrounding this administration who on the one hand claim to be so proud of their Irish heritage and then on the same hand you know and then the other hand they're like banning Muslims and, and Syrian refugees from coming into the country so the hypocrisy is just astounding and it's just I don't know how they can you know stand there in their shamrock pants on St. Yeah. Patrick's Day and yeah. be blocking right. Syrian right. refugees. Yeah, it's a facade, right? It's play dress up yeah. and yeah, how they're able to yeah. sleep at night, I don't understand. And, you know, the purpose behind our podcast, Amanda and I wanted to, you know, start conversations and I'm so thrilled to talk to you about, which hopefully is a perfect segue, is how do we speak to our children about what is happening? And I think that mm-hmm. you came up with a really great 
great solution, right? And that's American Dreams, right? Your children's book. And it's a picture book, right? Yeah. Well, you know, the reason I wrote the book, and it's not to erase the other books, there obviously are other great books on immigration. But what I wanted one that I thought reflected the diverse kind of immigrants that I see in my practice on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. And so I was asked, my husband and I were asked to go into our daughter's class, to Rose's class, to read a book. And just like in bed one night, I thought, oh, you know, reading to her about other books. And we're obviously, we have like a repertoire of like social justice books that we love. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I just thought, oh, I wish there was one that showed the kind of work, the amazing people that I get to meet. And that's the thing. I feel so fortunate to have this front row ticket to the most beautiful stories. And I wanted to share them with kids. And Mm -hmm. I felt like, you know, parents and kids were seeing all this stuff on TV and people were not knowing how to explain anything to the kids so I thought okay why don't I you know start to think about putting together some of these stories in a book and the result is yeah the children's book Our American Dream that really shows tells the story of real people and in ways that I felt like would be kind of accessible to kids that would make them think about you know oh this is my neighbor or my teacher or you know this type of thing so that was the goal oh I love that and I had to tell you, I when I found out you were going to be on the podcast, I rushed to Amazon and ordered the book because I've really been trying to find as many books that I can for my little one, who obviously is, is still very little, but you know, really the social justice books that I think it's important for me to start reading to him early mm-hmm. on because I am raising a white male and yeah. I am very cognizant about that. And I think about it all the time about how I want to raise him and what I want to be telling him. I mean, you know, similar to you, the types of people that, that we encounter in our practice are amazing, amazing families and children. And, you know, it's easy, I think, for me to explain to him you know, the types of kids that I work with and try to show them as much as and involve them with him. But, you know, that's only one piece of the puzzle of humanity mm-hmm. of the people that are in this country. And so I love that your book kind of shows um, shows that as well. So I'm really excited to read it to him. Oh, thank you. Well, look, I mean, all the studies show we know that the earlier kids are exposed to different cultures and diversity. And, you know, the more culturally competent they become and the more empathy they can have for other people. And I think that's the problem is that, you know, and I often think, how did we end up here? Like, how are we in a place where people are like treating immigrants you know not like human beings and so you know it has been a dehumanization over a while based Mm -hmm. you know surrounding language surrounding Mm -hmm. imagery surrounding Mm -hmm. things that it's that some people are okay with ripping a breastfeeding a mom you know who's breastfeeding her child away you know Mm -hmm. at the border and Mm -hmm. that's what happened and there's no responsibility taken at all for what's been done And so I think, you know, I mean, I'm not naive to think that my book is going to change the world forever. But I do think that um, children are able to hear about these things and they should hear about them um, in ways that just makes them. I think when they hear, you know, immigration, they were like, oh, well, I know my teacher. She's not, you know, and it's just thinking about other people's stories. 
Yeah. And I think also the terminology, you know, you always hear people go, well, they're illegal. They're illegal. They shouldn't be here anyway. And it just completely takes away the human aspect. And we love to categorize things. We love to put people into groups and labels. And it's just been Mm -hmm. far too easy to say, oh, okay, well, you know, the Irish are over here or the Muslims and not really be feeling the power of those words. And what's so great about your book is the exposure of all those different groups and how they make the fabric of our society work. Yeah. And I was, you know, on that note, though, I mean, there's been, you know, the term illegal should never be used for a person. Right. And so no human being is ever should ever be considered illegal. And so the Associated Press had moved away from using that word and the word is undocumented. Yes. And we have seen this come back in and we have seen again this like hateful all if you think of like a lot of the imagery it's like it's evocative in a bad way Mm -hmm. like imagery relating to you know I don't like repeating the terms um but I mean there's just a lot of terms a lot of words that are used on purpose to you know I think kind of get this hatred up and so um you know we need to be aware of the language that we use around immigration um as well so yeah I think that can just all sorts of things can be stirred up that are just so hurtful and we need it to work really hard against that narrative absolutely the, the labels and then the words we use takes away from the stories the individual stories that these families these individuals have the reasons that they are trying to immigrate to america that they're coming here they're not you know contrary to what some media says they're not coming to the united states for illegal purposes they're i would say there's probably very few it's so much individual stories from, you know, what they're trying to leave in the countries that they come from to what they want to build, what they've seen from America, you know, just that idea of the American dream. That's why the majority come. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the motives are for the most part always, you know, like honest and sincere and it's opportunity. And another thing is that, you know, there's an over-representation of undocumented immigrants in the media and in TV. And there was a great report done by um, this amazing advocacy group called Define American. And it was just published there a few weeks ago, but it just talks about this over-representation of the undocumented or the criminal immigrant. And, you know, we need to stop that as well because um, what people see and hear and read can impact their thoughts. And so if all people are seeing in the media is immigrants who have committed crimes or who are undocumented, then that's all they're going to think about when they think about immigration. And I wanted to show that, you know, there's lots of other, yes, there are undocumented immigrants, but there's lots of other immigrants who are not undocumented and who are here, who come here as foreign students, you know, to play soccer, who come here to um, do art, you know. So, and there's just like, or family stories. There's so many reasons why people come to the U.S. And there shouldn't be a hierarchy of immigrants who deserve to be here. You know, it shouldn't be like, oh, well, you get a preference because you're, you know, you're skilled. And that's another thing that we're seeing, which Mm -hmm. is just awful as Mm -hmm. well. Is this like, oh, well, you deserve here versus somebody else. And it's just, you know, very un-American, I would say. Absolutely. Absolutely. I agree. And, you know, just with the Supreme Court 
on docket to hear two decisions on immigration. Obviously, that's something as attorneys we kind of pull to. And I think that's something that this administration has done a very good job of trying to reconstruct with a super conservative majority, Mm -hmm. Um, not just at the Supreme Court level, but obviously throughout um, the lower court levels, which I think the number that I had heard is, you know, at least 200, not necessarily just the last four years, like these attempts have been going on. And I think that a lot of people do not pay attention to that. And they see, you know, the sparkly thing over here, Mm -hmm. the packs of quote unquote, people that are moving towards our board, you know, and it's just this fantasy, xenophobia that, you know, it's us against the other. And Mm -hmm. that is completely contradictory to what America, you know, has stood for in the past. And that's why being able to have these types of resources, even if it's, you know, a children's book, to illustrate that I think is so important. And that's why we were really excited to have you on because yes, you, you're you an attorney, you're kicking butt in immigration law, but in the same breath, you are trying to make a change, whether it's a small change, you know, by just putting this book out there or a bigger one, you know, obviously with the advocacy that you do to try to have immigration reform, we admire it completely, especially because immigration is just so different from what we do. But there are the similarities in the categorization and just the mistreatment in the clients, Mm -hmm. I think, that we see in both areas of the law. The inequity and everything. And, And I would say, you know, I think your book and any book like it, is doing a big change because if we can change one child's view or one family's perspective, we don't know what that child is going to grow up to do or be. And that could make a huge difference. One person can make a huge impact. You know, even if it's just a slight change in perspective of the family that they start treating other people a little bit differently, that can be big because then, you know, the people that they touch and they encounter might start, you know, treating other people and it could, you know, spread from there. But also we don't know who's going to be the next policymaker, who's going to be the next person running for president, for vice president, who's going to be a Supreme Court justice. We don't know. And, you know, we know that children take so much from what they are taught at home. So I think a book can make a huge impact. Thank you. And I mean, I think, you know, we've read a lot about amazing women who've, you know, for my, not just my daughter, but my son too. And so Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg is a hero in our home. Um, and just yesterday, my daughter, for her, she's doing Zoom school, yeah. you know, 2020. But, um, <laughs> She they had to do dress up as your favorite book character and Rose dressed up as RBG. And so she had, you know, my oh, blue so light glasses. Cute. She yeah. had like the collar. <laughs> but, you know, reading books about RBG, you know, she was really influenced by what she saw as a child. She, oh, yeah. she was influenced by the um in like the unequal treatment of immigrants that she saw. And she was influenced by, you know, the like the role of a woman to be, you know, a homemaker mm-hmm. and kind of advocating against that and for equal opportunities and so I do think that the experiences that kids have whether it's seeing them firsthand or secondhand or reading about them I think that they can have a profound impact on their viewpoint and my book was released in late January and we did have a lot of events planned I had like two events in Manhattan in New York in like big bookstores at Barnes and Noble and the Strand and then just lots of other things and obviously with COVID they were cancelled but one thing I did 
get to do was I got to go to a school here in Chicago and I always I'm bad at eight at like grades because it's different yeah. oh yeah my it is first grade yeah but they were probably around I'd say the kids were like 10 or 11 okay so I went to go I went in and I read the book to them and I spoke to them about the different characters and different immigration I mean I think the conversation was amazing I mean I was asking them do you know what a refugee is they knew I was asking them about um you know just why do people move to America what do they think of the American dream and what what do they think it is I mean I think the kids can really embrace this idea and I think that I was so pleasantly just amazed and and just encouraged and it did give me hope that you know this generation we're hopefully not ever going to return to a place that we're in now where you know people think it's okay to treat immigrants as less than human and so this generation coming up gives me a huge amount of hope. Yeah, that is uh, nice to hear because as I get older, it's very easy to become more cynical, right? And we saw, especially with the kiddos in Parkland, you know, if you would have told me six years ago that Florida would have gotten more stringent gun laws within, I would have been like, okay, yeah, Florida, you know, but these kids being impacted and not wanting to just sit around did something about it. And I think that there is something, I know the age group you were talking about was, was a little younger, which is even greater. Right. And so then as long as we can keep exposing them and giving them the resources so that they can continue to stand up for what is unjust, then we're we're looking pretty good. But that's what's interesting about COVID is how it will impact and has completely changed the course of so many people's lives, especially, you know, eight to 15. I was reading an article and about how it will, you know, just completely change their lives. So, you know, that might mean more nurses and doctors, you know, it might mean just a complete, you know, more scientists, you know, who knows how it will impact. But what I do know is that as long as that exposure is happening at the school level, you know, even at home, we definitely can see brighter days soon enough. Yeah, I mean, I think so. And I think that, you know, I think it's hard to go into the practice of immigration law um, without having some type of inherent optimism, I think, because it is can be tough. And this is not just, you know, over the past four years. It has, you know, it's a tough area to practice in. I think that, you know, I obviously can't speak for every immigration lawyer, but I've been practicing for 13 years. And I know a lot of my colleagues, we do share that same sense of optimism, even notwithstanding everything that's happened over the past four years. And I have this renewed hope and I think you kind of have to because it keeps you going but I don't think it's unfounded I really Mm. genuinely do believe that there are much brighter days ahead and I'm excited to see what can happen if um you know even thinking of let's say undocumented immigrants there are 11 million undocumented immigrants in the U.S. and they have been living here, working here, you know, these are people's moms and dads, you know, these could be your, they could, their kids could be in school with your kids, you know, they, you don't know. And I mean, I think, you know, the feeling that they have had of, you know, constantly looking over their shoulders, you know, the anxiety, everything. Can you imagine what they would be able to accomplish if they were given the security of status here in the US? It would be an amazing thing, not just for them, but for our communities, for America. 
immigrants are generally, you know, more entrepreneurial mm-hmm. than native born Americans. Mm-hmm. And so because to come here, someone described immigration as the great entrepreneurial journey. And I thought that that was a great way to think of immigration is because it takes a lot, even if it is a more privileged um, immigration experience, it does take a lot to up and move to another country. And I think that that's kind of what you see, the resilience of immigrants. And I think that we're going to need all that as much resilience and as much innovation and like motivation as we can get to get out of this, you know, horrendous like pandemic, whether it's in healthcare or Mm -hmm. it's in just, you know, uh, the mom and pop stores that are kind of the backbone of any economy. And so I think that more than ever, we are going to need immigrants here and work together. And it's not an us versus them. We're all in this together. together. Absolutely. And I think if you ask many Americans their favorite restaurant nearby, a lot of people are going to talk about that Mexican restaurant or the Irish pub or (laughs) the Indian food place. And I'd say nine out of 10 of those are entrepreneurs from, you know, even though they're small from another country, they're not Americans who decided, you know, of course there's some like fusion type, whatever, but yeah. And so you think about how frequent people eat out. And I think we've seen that with COVID, right? People getting so upset that they can't go out to their favorite restaurant. It's like, where would you be? without these restaurants and they don't see the people in their community as the same way that the media portrays immigrants. People need to see that that's immigration, that even if it, you know, they didn't just come in the last four years, maybe their ancestors came, you know, 50 years ago, 30 years ago, whenever that is the backbone, like you said, of the economy and a big part of many people's lives. The criticism, right, that people in this pandemic Oh, you're taking away our freedom with having businesses closed and having us wear masks. And, you know, most of the people complaining are the people who just can't go out to eat, not the small business owners who are actually losing their livelihood. Yeah, and we work with a lot of clients in the restaurant hospitality space, and I know they've been hit really hard. Yeah. And so, and not only are, you know, they, can we benefit from going there and enjoying the cuisine, but they're a huge employer. I mean, there's a huge source of job creation in this, in the US. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that forms part of the cases that we would file, let's say, if they have a small restaurant, or not even small, you know, if they're an investor, they can get a visa depending on where they come from. And so it is a huge huge source of stimulation of the US economy and we need to like have this mentality. I think the problem is that it is very much an us versus them and it just does not have to be that way. I think we and I, you know, it sounds like we're obviously all on the same page here today, but not everybody, you know, is always going to agree with us, with me and that's Mm. okay. And I actually think that it's even more important to have conversations with people who don't agree with you. And, you know, we saw over the pandemic, you know, there was threats to deport um, foreign students when their colleges remained online. And I was in huge opposition to that and did a lot of media interviews and interviews. And I'd actually written an op-ed in USA Today previous to even that about the benefits that foreign students bring. Mm. And one of the things that, you know, that you just can't argue with is economic statistics. So Mm -hmm. foreign students are responsible for putting $41 billion into the US economy me every year and just by being here by virtue of living here they create nearly half a million jobs right you know we were having these conversations people were saying why do they have to be here if their colleges are online why do we they we don't need them here we don't want them here and why do they even need to be and I was like 
do you, what part of their create they're putting forty one billion dollars right. yeah. into right. the economy? Are you not, not understanding? I mean, and then yeah. at a, just like at a human basic level, they've probably been here, even if it was their first year, yeah. a couple of months, and right. they were experiencing, you know, the traditional college. And how cruel is it to think? Yeah, you need to go back where you came from, like when it's a worldwide yeah. pandemic, putting their mm-hmm. lives at risk. To you know, it just it blew my mind when that was having my husband is a DSO at a university here oh. in California. Yeah. So yeah. for that week, two weeks, he was losing his mind. And he is, yeah. if I'm yin, he's yang. He's very just relaxed and calm all the time. And I just saw him like lose his damn yeah. mind because it was just... Yeah. It was just complete chaos, right? And oh, yeah. total chaos. So, you know, for you to just get out there and try to show different perspectives of the benefit, which people, I didn't know that. I didn't know billions of dollars in the economy came from yeah. you know, our, yeah. our foreign, foreign you know, students. Foreign student. I would have never yeah. known. And I mean, that honestly, I feel like a responsibility as a former foreign student. That's how I came to the US, that I want to pay it forward. And I mean, I was here in much friendlier times. But I mean, you know, like, that's the thing. I mean, you can look at immigration from an economic point of view. You can look at it from uh, just humanitarian. Why would we turf out foreign students and I mean you know the New York Times has has spoken about our higher education system as one of the most valuable the educational export as one of the most valuable assets that this country has and as it was immigrants foreign students were not coming to the US as frequent as they were in the past and it's because of all these anti-immigrant policies Mm -hmm. and I mean I am looking forward to a time where we can hopefully erase some of that harmful reputation that America has you know, has that's been forced upon us by this administration. And I think yeah. that, you know, recognizing the value that foreign students and I've worked with literally thousands of foreign students over the years. And some of them have created startups that have raised 30, 40 million dollars that are employing hundreds, like between like three of three clients of mine. I think they've raised well over 100, 200 million and they're employing hundreds and hundreds of mostly U.S. citizens in their wow. companies. And, wow. you know, if you're cutting that off at the source, um, you're never going to get to, you know, to the end there where it's. And so, yeah, but I do think that it's we can, I believe, and this is probably goes back to my optimism <laughs> that I think you can have these conversations with people who go, you know what, I that's a fair point. Yeah. I didn't realize that right. they put that much into the economy. And I am excited to have a bit more reaching across the aisle done because we don't always have to agree on everything. Right. You know, we don't. But I do think there are things that we if we have these conversations in a way that we're listening to people, I think that we can get a little bit closer together than where we are right now. I agree 100%. And, you know, like I said at the beginning, at the top of the pod, you know, the purpose is to try to start conversations. So bringing guests, bringing perspectives to our listeners that they, you know, may not have otherwise had access to. And, you know, Amanda and I always say that now there probably isn't a person that we've met that has not had a connection to somebody with a unique need or disability. It's pretty prevalent, you know, maybe 20 years ago, it was still hush-hush people, you know, and there, of course, still stigma over so many things. And that's why we were really, really intrigued to have you on because we see the similarities in the clients that we service as well as the clients that you service, where it's 
just this stigma and the way that people talk about them and even the like shame that people feel around yeah. both sets of populations. And I was saying this last night during a presentation, a Zoom one, you know, there's so many different special populations that we deal with. We deal with our kiddos that are currently homeless. We deal with our, our students of color, our students with disabilities, our, our students from a foreign land, like, and everybody fits into some type of group, right? So it yeah. just gets excessive when we start labeling. But I think it's important for people to understand that, yes, you can label just for purposes of identification, but you don't have to make it that us versus them. And I think that you've mm-hmm. kind of hit the nail on the head, and especially kind of with Air American Dreams, kind of showcase all the different people <laughs> that make up our society. I and mean, you you did it in just such a beautiful way. And we just thank you so much for being on our podcast. Thank you. <laughs> and I mean, I could sometimes make it through the book without crying. But a lot of times I, you know, because they are based on real people, like my faith, the baby who was adopted, that's my sister-in-law. Oh my gosh. You know, she was adopted wow. from the Philippines as a baby here to oh. the US. And the photo, the illustration in the book, is based on a photograph that her family have of when they brought her to the US and her cousins were in the airport waiting to welcome her to the US. And I just think, you know, she married my brother who works with me as well as an immigration lawyer and now they have two kids and I see what a an amazing life she has here in our family because of you know her parents being able to adopt her and for them you know their American dream was to have a lovely little baby that they have and then they adopted two other kids as well and so yeah I'm just I feel so honored to have this really special seat to hear all these incredible stories and I felt like I have an obligation to share them and also let the immigrants themselves tell the stories it's not always about me telling telling their stories on their behalf, but to, you know, to try to use the voice that I have to create a platform for them to tell their own story in their own voice. Fiona, where can people find your book? I know Amanda had said she'd gone on Amazon. Is it just available now online in bookstores? Yeah, so we have a website. So it's ouramericandreambooks.com. I can sign them personally from here if they're bought through the website. And Honestly, the inscriptions that I was writing, like, really do bring a tear to my eye. I mean, what people, like, you know, and I remember them, people, you know, one woman bought it for her nephew, and and it was like, oh, maybe always welcome people from other lands. And it was just, like, these lovely messages that people write. So I can do that. Um, Also, I, it is on Amazon. Um, Independent bookstores are Mm -hmm. a great place to buy it from. Hopefully your independent bookstore stocks it and I would just like to mention that a portion of the proceeds are going to two amazing immigration non-profits and so one is forward.us's I am an immigrant initiative where you know they really do a lot of advocacy work around immigration conversations and then the American Immigration Council which is a phenomenal organization that has done a lot of litigation supported you know the immigrants at the border and migrant separated families and they just do incredible work so by purchasing the book a portion of the proceeds are going to go to support those amazing groups that is incredible i love that so much (laughs) and you know if people wanted to reach out to you maybe for immigration questions or anything like that where can they reach you 
So for me on social media, my handle is at US Visa Lawyer and I am that on Twitter and on Instagram. Our law firm is McEntee Law Group. So we have a website, Facebook, pretty much everything, Twitter, you know. Everything. Yeah, I'm not yeah. really on Snapchat. Yeah, but like, you know, the, the whole night or TikTok. Really, but, um, yeah, pretty much everything else. And so, yeah, I'm just really grateful to have the opportunity to come on. Thank you guys both for your incredible work and for having these conversations. It just really gives me hope for a much brighter future. Absolutely. Perfect way to end the pod. We hope you guys enjoyed. And if you have any questions, you know where to find Fiona and you know where to find us. Thanks so much. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye.